0: Welcome to at Home, I'm Tracy Koga. This is a very special edition of at Home as it is the last day of 2021. So we celebrate some very special people that we've had on this show. They represent the past, present and future. So let's begin with a sit down interview with Terry Tully and his mother, Usono, as they look back and reflect on the history of the Japanese internment right here in Canada. Terry Usono, I am honored that you have come here today because it's all about sharing your story from the beginning to where you are today. So I'm going to start with ladies first. Usono, tell us about your childhood. Where did you grow up and your journey
1: to Winnipeg? Well, I was born in British Columbia. At that time, the place where I was born was called Port Hammond, BC, but now it's all Beckboridge. And I must have been in grade three or four. I mean, we had to, um, after the you know, when the war broke out, we had to move out of the farm, and it was only, what, 24 hours' notice or whatever. And I was, you know, small, and I didn't know anything too much about all this. And we went, and next thing you know, we were in Hastings Park, and my father and my brother, Bob, where they had to, they were in a pavilion and we were in the exhibition building and where all the bunk houses were separated with army blankets for each family. And, and at that time, there was a big wall beside the, you know, that's Hastings Park where we were, and I think the exhibition was going on because there was a lot of noise on the other side of that wall. And I don't know how long we stayed there. Being a young child, you know, a you know, girl, I, I can't remember everything. And next thing you know, we moved to we were we moved to Denver and I think we were there for about four or five six I'm not too sure but it was nice it was all Japanese and all the Japanese girls got to know the girls from the city uh, urban and from the country girls you know we all got together and that's where I learned to swim and, and get get on the pair of ice skates I'd never seen one before in my life but the girls from the city would you know they would have it and we used to go in a a frozen pond up in Harrison Ranch, and try to skate and get on a pair of skates, anyways, and that's where I learned to swim. Right by Sokan Lake, because it was a beautiful lake by New Denver where we stayed. That's where I learned to swim. I really enjoyed that part of it. And then, we, and then they used to have some, sometimes they used to have concerts and then all the Japanese would get and have um, a variety show, you know, concert, and that's where I learned to do a little bit of odori. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of nice and I didn't have a Odori dress but mother somehow made one for me she had some kind of a material and put it together and and that's what I did was a lot of Odori dances with my girlfriend and all you know the girls that I got to know we still all get together and go and get into this concert whatever they're going to have for that
0: well it sounds like it sounds like for a child at, at your age it was okay But did you ever have a sense from your parents that things weren't totally Well, from that,
1: I think my father was really, you know, my father and mother, yes, of course, to leave everything behind. And they only took the bare necessity. But one thing that mother always insisted that she take that sewing machine with her. So the sewing machine followed wherever we went. But a lot of, you know, a lot of things we just had to leave behind in the bedroom upstairs. And Dad nailed the board against the wall in the door and make sure that nobody would into it and, and uh, whatever, but next thing you know, we didn't go back to see it anyway, so. Well,
0: well, and you're here with your son, so how did you meet your husband, Mr.
1: Tully? Well, from New Denver, we had to go someplace, and my, my oldest brother, yes, was in Winnipeg, and so we came to Winnipeg, and we were in um, an army barracks someplace, a trash corner someplace for a while when we came to uh, Winnipeg, because we had no place to go at that time, and all the Japanese were in uh, some army barracks, I'm sure. But anyways, then we had, well, of course, we can't live in that barracks all the time. My brother said, oh, maybe go to the sugar beet farm. either way. well, yeah. I said, even when I was a kid, I said, no, we should, no, stay in Winnipeg. And then, you know, we can go to school. And then as and we get older, we'll be able to help with the, pay, pay, you know, for the house and whatever. No, he kept insisting we go to the farm. So we, we did, that's how we ended up at Tully's, Tully's sugar beet farm. And I can remember being driven out to the country. And I could remember this feel of yellow. I guess it was yellow, feel of yellow. It looked so nice, but it was I guess it was mustard or whatever. But anyways, at that time when we moved, I think the next spring, I think all the Japanese that were there before at Tully's, like the Kaidas and Nakai's and uh, Tezumi's and Hiro, they were, all, they were all moving into Winnipeg because they had bought a property, I guess, on outskirts of Winnipeg. That's where all they were there for what, seven years or so, I guess. And then the next batch came and of course when we moved there and a lot of the Japanese had moved away, they the Tullys would bring in Dutch family and the Germans and the Polish and, you know, from Europe and they were it was just like a United Nations. We're all working together, picking roots and doing sugar beets. And yeah, it was just and we all kinda of got together somehow. And then of course Mr Tully had a daughter named Joyce. And Lauren was there too, and you know, and, and I got to be a good friend with Joyce. And we used to chum around and play baseball, catch or whatever, you know, ride the bicycle to a neighbor's to visit. Joyce and I would do that, and I got to know them quite well. And the Mizuno's were there too at the toys at that time. So, what was it about your husband? <laughs> well, well, he used to, he was on and drove us to, out to the field, you know out to the suede field and that, and he used to drive us to the... Well, I don't really know. Somehow, Lorne wasn't that older than jo- much older than Joyce, and, then, and Lauren would be there all the time or whatever, and I don't really know exactly how he... <laughs> he was just there somehow.
2: What about the um, telephone office?
1: Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and then, of course, it got so that when we uh, moved Dad bought up, you know, we from Tully's farm, and dad bought a, a blo- uh, how would you say, the whole section on the, the a block. A block. And it was a, a place that just had a, an old brick house and just a run down kind of a greenhouse. And dad was aiming for the greenhouse. I guess that's what he wanted to do kind of a market gardening. So he bought the place, but the house was nothing to, you know, praise about or anything. There was a roll of, willow trees, I think. It was a, in the front of the property, but it was a lane of willow trees, and it, it looked so... Well, first thing Dad did was chop it all down, and I remember a lady that when I was working at the telephone, she said to me, I'm sure glad you, Dad, cut all that tree down. It was kind of spooky, she said. It made the house, <laughs> house look spooky, or whatever. <laughs> Anyways, and I started working at the telephone office, and of course Lord would be there at, at, when I was finished working. Just,
0: drive me home with this and that, you know, I told him not to, not to bother. <laughs> not to bother you? <laughs> oh, Terry, for you, uh, growing up, um, stories about your dad, Lauren, and your mom, did they share any of the history?
2: No, not really. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, dad was crazy, but mom, of course, um, he always said, love is a itch in your heart that you can't scratch, anyway uh but no no they didn't say anything about uh, that and for us we didn't know any better uh, and to going to school uh tim and i it was a uh, in grade one it was about two miles away one room schoolhouse grades one to eight and then that summer this the summer afterwards they built a second room so it was became a two-room schoolhouse and um we're all kids and Nobody said anything. We didn't know any different. Everybody was the same as as everybody else. It wasn't until we got to high school that uh, there was a sort of a noticeable difference. Not a big deal, but you know, you, you could just tell that you know we were different from everybody else because they didn't grow up with them. And then one day.
1: They told. I, they, 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 uh, wasn't it at the high school? They said that Tully twins, and they said they're not twins. They don't even look alike.
2: <laughs> and there was another set of twins, but and they really were looked alike. But
1: they were anyway.
2: W- one day, uh, went home with uh, one of our one of my friends uh, from high school, David Taylor. Oh my god! So and <laughs> for lunch, and uh, introduced me to his parents, and they went, Tully oh, yeah, we know about you guys. I said, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and so apparently, when Mom and Dad got married, they eloped in '53 in the spring. Uh, it was a bit of a scandal in a way because it was mixed It's pretty soon after the war. Everybody knew about us, but we had no idea what was going on. No. And then um, we started asking some questions and um, kind of... Got a little bit more of a started to get a little bit more of an inkling of, uh, of the background of what was going
1: on.
0: And for yourself, Usono, did you ever feel different?
1: Isn't that funny? No, not really. Because you know, it was. I don't know. I I really didn't. People
2: were pretty accepting at 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 the time. It seemed like everybody was in the same boat. Uh, you sort of like. Not quite middle class, but working class. Uh, people coming from the farm, in the high school that I went to, Arthur, me, and a lot of the kids were from the from Southport, the Air Force base, and so they'd be changing every year. You know, you could make some friends, but then they'd be moving on. There wasn't any real. I shouldn't say there wasn't any real prejudice, there really wasn't, but you, know, you knew, you, you, knew you, you were different, and sometimes they would you know, sort of let you know that you were different, uh, just from the way you looked. Uh, but that's okay. I mean, it didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad thing necessarily, and as it turned out, later on, it was actually an advantage.
1: Hey, uh, Grandpa Tully, you know, Lauren's father, yeah. was really good to the twins, and he was very, you know, he was very understanding. Yeah, and all the Tully families, we all got to get, you know, we got along, though. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Well, it sounds, though, the Tullys really appreciated all of the immigrants that they brought on, and especially... I think especially the Japanese,
1: yes. That's right, yes. Yeah. And
0: and he did treat everybody very well.
1: When the sugar beet is finished in the fall, they used to clean that shop of Tully's, and then all the Japanese would, would... supply a little bit you know take a little like a potluck get together that's what we did at the shop Then you know they clean that shop and all the japanese all get together and then they bring the potluck supplement have all got get together yeah we did that every fall till most of the japanese moved away at, after that but yeah and at that time i think i met lauren's mother once and then she passed away Then she was a very nice woman yes all the Japanese, really, really like Josh so
2: nice yeah. A lot of the people who, um, all, excuse me, a lot of the immigrants, etc., uh, came to the farm directly from Europe, or where were they were from. Up until even a couple of years ago, every so often you'd get a knock on the door, is this Tully's? He said, yeah, is it still Tully's? said, Yes. <laughs> Uh, uh, earlier on, it was like, well, my my grandfather and my grandmother got their s- start here, and he wants to look around. Is that okay? So sure, sure. And I said, oh yeah, it'd be nice to s- talk to somebody. So well, mom and dad just live across the road. You can go see them if you want. They're still here, I said, Yeah, <laughs> right over there. Uh, and, and that just happened over and over and over and over again until yeah, a couple of years ago, and then. Not so much now, but
1: yeah, because there was yeah. a Dutch family that um, they, they, you know, he milked the, the son milked the cow and that, and he was same age as Lauren and the same birthday date and everything else. But they moved to Ontario and bought a dairy farm. But he, him and his wife, they were traveling through Canada and they came to visit us. they spent a couple of nights with us, you know, and and uh, yeah, they and then reminisces about the olden days of living at. Tullys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then there's um one of the Osado girls, Fred Osado, I don't know if you know them or not, but anyway, Fred Osado used to have a grocery store in Winnipeg, but he's long gone, but they used to live at the Tully's Osado family, and one of them, Ruth, was the one that came back and and, uh, came to the farm to visit, and she was saying the first thing she noticed about the farm was the trees were grown so tall. And she said, she thought the shop on that looked so big, but now she said, sure, it doesn't look very big, she <laughs> said. Yeah, they were kind of reminiscing the, the, the yard and that, you know. And then they, she asked me if Jack was around, like his older brother. And, oh, yes, I said, he's still around. And she wanted to meet him because, I guess, you know, because they knew them when they were living there. So, yes, she was, young. Yeah. And then a lot of the others came around. The heroic boy, one of them came mm-hmm. along from St. Claude. Was she not married to a girl from St. Claude? I'm not sure. Yeah, she was one of the Hiroka boys.
0: Well, it, it just sounds like you're one big, huge, happy family. So I'm just curious, now if you look back, Usono, on everything that you've lived through, the hardships and the good times, you've raised a family, would you have changed anything?
1: Well, uh, well I think no. I think a lot of times, a lot of times it's... It kind of helps you when you have, you know, go through hard times, sort of, and you appreciate the future. And you know, I appreciate now that I have, you know, and I live in an apartment and all the work I used to do. And you know, when you think back, you wonder how you ever did it. You know, sort of a thing. And everybody would say, when anybody would phone me and says, "What are you doing today?" I said "Not a heck of a lot." And she said "Well, it's about time. You don't need to do anything." <laughs>
0: Well, and for yourself, Terry, now that you know more about your mom and dad and yourself, a farmer, I think doesn't... I think life really become more rich when you know a little bit more about...
2: Well, when you when you know you more appreci-
1: about... You appreciate things more, I think.
2: When you know more about your past and, and, and all of that, uh, it, it, it draws you in more. Uh, a number of years ago... Uh, um, uh, Mom and Dad said, "You know what? You should you should go to uh, you should go to New Denver. There's a there's a museum there. It's beautiful because they had gone through there a couple of years before that. So Kathy and I did a road trip, and yeah, it was really interesting. And the museum was there, um, and we went in and we you know like signed it, uh, the book and all of that. And then, what the following year, we get a phone call from." Um, this woman, whose name escapes me right now, who was writing a book about the Slocan Valley. And each section would have a, you know, a different sort of ethnic group that was there, the Dukabor, then Japanese Canadians. And so she phoned me, and she was asking me about that because she had read my name in the... Comment on the book. Yeah. And she was talking and said, well, you should really ask Mama about that. She's still there? I said, yeah, she's just <laughs> next door. You know, So she... She phoned mom and talked to her, um, and um, so mom's in your book. It was kind of like, okay, that was interesting. It was fascinating that people started to take an interest in, in this, especially when the redress was, was coming along, and uh, there was more interest in, in ethnic groups, etc. Right next door to us is a Hadari colony, Elm River Hadari colony, and one of the teachers there uh, one project she had a number of years ago was to uh, ask different uh, ethnic uh, groups to, you know, have it send someone in to talk to their, the kids about how you got here. And so she approached mom and mom foisted it on me. <laughs> and so I, you know, got, wrote down the history of the stuff for the, I guess I interviewed my own mother. <laughs> and and went there and had some books and, uh, that I could, you know,
1: did you not take sushi?
2: No, know. no, I didn't.
1: I thought like I no. have a sushi or something.
2: No, no, no. And so I was talking to the class, and, and one of the fellows there, uh, Herbie, uh, who you know, ran the computer program there, afterwards came up to me and said, because we knew Herbie pretty well, and he said, yeah, we've been neighbors all our lives, and I had no idea about the, the Japanese community and what happened and how they got here. And he was just shocked. And I thought, I thought everybody had kind of... Obviously, they didn't have an idea of how we they got here. And so I was thinking, gee, a little bit more education would help everybody, <laughs> uh, not just for us, but how we got, how Maman got here, but how the other ethnic groups got there as well. Because, of course, the Ukrainians uh, early in the, earlier in the century... Uh, had their issues as well with the uh, with the government interning them and, uh... et cetera. so
0: we're obviously learning today about the Tully farm, the Tully family how they've opened up their arms to our community, Japanese Canadians I just want maybe lastly if Lauren was here, your dad, your husband what would he say?
1: Well I'm sure he'd be glad to know that he uh, he was happy to get to know the Japanese because he said when I got to know him quite well, he said, "You know, I should look at the magazine to see this Hawaiian girls." He says, "You know, and I often wondered. I sure would like to meet. And you're about the closest I'll get to a Hawaiian <laughs> girl." He said. He said to me,
2: oh. "It was interesting." Yeah, um, I remember at our wedding, uh, my good friend Andy and and uh, was sitting beside Dad, and you know, they were talking, and Dad pulls out his wallet and figures out this picture of Mom. A little bit younger, uh, just showing off. <laughs> one quick little story. Okay, so things changed when I hit university. Uh, it was the um, it was the early '70s. <coughs> so being different uh, was really cool. So suddenly that changed a lot of things. And I remember I was uh, one summer uh, had some money. I went to Europe and, you know, doing the ruins. So I'm in Greece, yeah, and I'm in a taverna with all the other you know, kids, and we're talking away. And this one girl across the table kept looking at me, and I thought, okay, I get it. I've, I've, been, I've been getting this the whole trip because Asians didn't travel at that time, so and they didn't quite understand what I was or who I was. And so she kept looking at me and said, Oh I'll let her stew on this. So finally, she couldn't stand it any longer. She said, "I give up, what are you?" And I said, "I'm Canadian. You're an Eskimo." Said,
0: no. <laughs> I'm not. Well, I'm sure he'd be very proud of both of you today. Um, thank you so much. Can
3: you know whats up) Say what, say what Girl, you know what's up Ooh, say what, say what, say what Girl, you know what's up I'm leaving, I'm leaving Girl, you know what's up
0: at home and now we go to the present dennis mckenzie is a veteran from the afghanistan war and he is not only a soldier with a big heart but also a great gift his gift is music to all the veterans out there the war is not over and so he presents the guardian angel platoon hi i'm tracy koga with something short and fun this is a Hugh soundbite. It is an honor and a pleasure to introduce Dennis McKenzie to Hugh at Home. Uh, welcome, Dennis. It's been uh, an amazing year for you, and it's about music. But uh, I guess maybe let's talk, though, about the importance of um, what you're doing now for the veterans of today.
4: Yeah, Tracy, uh, thank you so much, first off, for, uh, for having me. Um, it's been a big year for me. I am a Canadian Armed Forces veteran of nine years. I served with the Royal Canadian Regiment in New Brunswick, and I also served in Afghanistan in 2007. And so since has been quite a time for me with uh, dealing with post-traumatic stress and release from the military and, and loss and you know, lots of different things that have been challenges for me over the, over the years. And so over the last year, I've actually been able to create and record an album with uh, Dennis Ellsworth, a local musician here from Prince Edward Island, and uh, a lot of the music and the songs had already been written, it was more of a getting it together as a complete project and it tells you know my military story from recruitment up until release and uh, highlights some of the major events that happened during my time overseas and some of the losses that happened while i was overseas but more so the losses after returning from overseas and for me the uh the big big uh message here is to honor those that were losing off the battlefield you know we uh we're very good as a nation at honoring our soldiers and our veterans while they're serving and while they're overseas. And if we ever happen to lose one overseas, we, we really rally together in a huge so, show of support. Uh, the Highway of Heroes. I mean, how many images of videos have you seen of the beauty of that? The Trues wrote a, a song about it. And, uh, you know, we're very good as a nation at doing that. But then if a soldier or a veteran takes their own life off of the battlefield, they're suffering from the same wounds, the same injuries, or, or sorry, different wounds, different injuries, but from the same battles. And uh, we don't mention them. A lot of times I've been lucky to find good friends' names just through social media and uh, you know, maybe a newspaper obituary, but never knowing what happened or, or any of that. And I think the big thing for me is just trying to change that dialogue and, and honor those that we lose the same way on or off the battlefield.
0: Um, and I wanna ask you too now, Dennis, uh, music for yourself, how did you find it? Uh, or did, were you always interested in music besides everything that has happened?
4: I learned to play guitar when I was around 16, just you know, basic guitar, learned how to play some chords and sing along, campfire guitarist so really was, was as far as I had gotten. And then when I was in the military, I played a little bit with some friends. And uh, it wasn't until really the last two or three years that I truly started getting lost in music, is how it happened. It just came organically. It was, um, I really just started researching a little bit more into music and sounds and the types of sounds that you can create and learning to feel that as an emotion and it just got to the point where i could spend six eight hours with a guitar on my lap and not do another single thing and just getting lost and then using that to to try and put out how i'm feeling and try and portray the insides to the out
0: Mm -hmm. did that trigger memories of being back in afghanistan and you know with your friends that you you've lost
4: Yeah, so a lot of the the material that was written was written during those times. There are songs that were written after a loss loss and during some hard times. The songs mostly weren't, it wasn't a sit down and write it now about how it had happened. This is years of work that has just all been collaborated together. So it was, um, for me, it was last November, I had an experience that really changed my outlook and my view on everything. And that's what really got the energy into creating the album because before it was very sad and hurt and I I couldn't even read or sing a lot of the material myself because it was just too hard. And then I was fortunate enough to have an experience last November, which just totally changed the way I saw everything and that gave me the name for Guardian Angel Platoon and it was a, about a dream so the experience was I had the chance of having a, a new therapy treatment, which, you know, we're now experimenting with uh, psychedelics and, and treatment. And so I was able to see a medicine woman and undergo a, uh, a meditation ceremony where it really made me look at the way things have played out, the way I see things, the way I'm still damaged and hurt by things. And I left that experience just totally fresh on on everything, and it actually was a dream that I had after this experience where I I was with countless soldiers that we've lost, home, overseas, friends that I knew, people that I didn't know, all dressed in white. And this is where the concept of the Guardian Angel Platoon came from, was this dream telling me that they're okay, they're doing their work somewhere else, and and that is the Guardian Angel Platoon, is those that we've lost too soon that are still on the other side doing their work helping us here.
0: Wow, it's just uh, totally amazing. And your take now, Dennis, on the world today. Uh, We didn't think that we were gonna be in a pandemic, let alone fighting COVID and the increasing, I guess, mental health and wellness being so forefront um how has that sort of affected you too as well and and how are you coping
4: so for me i uh, i can be a bit of a hermit i'm not an extrovert by any means so for me i spent a lot of time during the pandemic doing this and focusing on myself and working on music i mean it's, it's troublesome where we are today with the divide the pandemic has created and a lot of people are isolated and a lot of people can't see their friends and family. And it's, it's very difficult and there's definitely a mental health aspect that's coming with that. And I think that's part of what this album is, there is things that everybody will be able to relate to, anyone who has ever been touched in any way by mental health illness, whether it's yourself, friends, family, which I think is most of us at this point, I think the album will be able to speak to everybody on that.
0: And I guess uh, for all of those out there, veterans, today, especially on this day, I guess, um, I guess words of wisdom, how you've managed to get to where you are today. And in your own words, what, what does it take?
4: It takes being very humble and being able to accept help and accept when you need help and to be able to say that you know what i'm not well now i'm i'm broken and to be able to accept that and seek the proper treatments for that you know we have a bit of a hang up with the word broken we don't want to consider ourselves broken because we throw out broken things but that's not the way i see it you know, if I went into uh, a hospital with a broken arm and got treated for a sprain, then it's never going to heal properly. And when we won't be able to accept the fact that we're in a broken state, then we can never go through the process to, to repair and move on from that state.
0: Mm. And musically speaking, the people that have helped you on this album, what was that whole journey like? It must have been pretty cool.
4: It was amazing. So I had the chance to work with a local musician here whose name is Dennis Ellsworth. And he's quite accomplished here in Prince Edward Island. He's seems to be involved in most things going music these days. And he's been at this for a long, long time. He started writing in high school. And uh, he he was able to really help me see the rest of the parts that I wasn't quite there on yet. I mean, I'm... I'm able to portray to a certain point, but someone with that experience who's able to sit down and he writes such beautiful songs and melodies as well. So to have him be able to come in and, you know, it wasn't just he came into this because he wanted a job. He came into this because he believed in this album. He was touched by the mission in it and he put his heart into it and it really shows too.
0: And where do you think this will all lead? What, do, what is your grand dream? Dennis?
4: For me, it's really about being able to talk openly about mental health and suicide. I mean, I've lost many friends overseas and I've lost many more now to suicide since I've come home. And that's a demographic that speaks right across the Canadian Armed Forces. We've lost 158 soldiers during the Afghanistan war, but since we've lost more than that to suicide to their own hands. And for me, it's about really opening that door and that conversation. And I want it to be a comfortable topic. We shouldn't have to look through all these you know, articles that are not really telling us anything to try and read between the lines to find out what has happened to somebody, especially when there's so many others suffering in the same way. This is something that should be able to connect us as, as a society, not divide us.
0: Oh, most certainly. And I, I believe there's a, a pin because the single Lanterns means something. I was curious. I wanted to know the story about that.
4: Yes. Yeah, so the song Lanterns off of the album is a song about the fact that we do not honor those veterans and soldiers that we lose off of the battlefield and specifically to their own hands. It's suicide. We are great at honoring when uh, we lose a soldier during a conflict or during battle but you know remembrance day really traditionally doesn't have a home for those that we've lost to suicide so with the song lanterns there's been a pin as well created that the intent is to be worn on remembrance day alongside of the poppy to honor those that we've lost to suicide and their mental health injuries off of the battlefield
0: oh well that's so beautiful and where can we go to get the album and is it going to any charity of course to help your cause
4: yeah so all proceeds from the lantern are going towards funding and supporting music therapy programs for veterans and there's a percentage of the proceeds going from the album as well the album's available right now well it's available through uh, Bandcamp, and uh, you can stream it through spotify and streaming places as well or you can just go to the guardian as well
0: Oh well, once again, it's been an honor, and we all thank you for what you've done for all of us. And we wish you and encourage you on on this journey because it is an important, a very, very important one, Dennis. And it's people like you that will shine a light on it, and with your music, maybe touch way more than ever you could ever think possible. So thank you so much, Dennis.
4: Well, thank you, Tracy. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time today. So the Hive is a climbing and fitness facility. So we're bouldering only, which means
2: no ropes or harnesses. We use mats for protection. But the four pillars of our business are climbing, education, health and wellness, and community. And those aspects all kind of come together to create like a five-star climbing experience.
0: And finally, we look into the future, the future of music, which is a collaboration. We'll head out to Newfoundland, where Ana Luis Raymond shows us not only does her heart belong to Argentina, it also belongs to Canada as well. The beauty of virtual TV, live, no, <laughs> well, I mean, it is live from St. John's, Newfoundland. I want to give a warm Winnipeg welcome to Ana Louise Ramos. welcome to at Home. And, Anna, we're going to talk about music, but I think your backstory is so incredible. Uh, you've trained classically, um, sung and, op- you know, have done opera, and now into this singer songwriter realm of music. Um, your former background, like growing up in Brazil and singing at such a young age, how has that kind of helped, I guess, you now? project yourself into the singer-songwriter role here in Canada.
5: (laughs) Yeah, so, hello. Thank (laughs) you very much for having me. It's uh, such a pleasure. So, I I started uh, singing in choirs, in classical choirs, when I was a kid, eight, nine, nine years old. And for many, many years, I studied and, and sang operas and concerts with orchestras and big and professional choirs. But the popular music, the Brazilian music, was always very present in my life. And I think that, like, the past decade that I started working more in the popular field, and I think that the classical training brings me, at least, the, of course, the the vocal training Mm that's amazing, the breathing part, but but also the determination you know, because you have to practice every day, it needs to be something very steady, you know? So I think that that's for a musician, it's perfect because we need to, to to practice and we need to improve our instrument and as a singer-songwriter, I'm not sure if I had many benefits from the mm-hmm. the, the, the classical world because for many, many years, I, I didn't think that I was able to write my own music because I was a singer. I used to sing someone's, like other people's music and from mostly from dead composers, you know, <laughs> from... Uh, 200, 300 years ago, so I never thought that, uh, that I was going to be able, and. but when I started trying I, I saw that I could write my, my own music.
0: So was this like a work in progress for you, Anna, or was there like a, an instant where okay, I can do this, or someone influenced you, a mentor, or another singer?
5: Yeah, so uh, I I have been playing with my husband and, and my musical partner, Eric, and for many years he was, Hannah, you need to try and no, no, I can't do this. And if I'm not going to do something that I'm proud of, I'm not going to even try. So in 2017, I was in Scotland for some concerts and I I was attending this conference and I did a workshop in creative writing. And there I wrote this poem and then oh I think this might be a nice lyrics for a song. And for over a year (laughs) I couldn't like write like the music. And then one day I was playing the guitar and then playing on the keyboard, and oh, I think that might be something nice. And when I started, I I simply couldn't, like, not do that anymore. So now I have been writing many, many songs, which is is great, yeah.
0: And, okay, so the big question is, how did you come to Canada? And more importantly, St. John's, Newfoundland?
5: So, um, so, as I said, I'm married, mm-hmm. and my husband, he's also a musician, and we moved here two years ago now, uh, because he was doing a master's in ethnomusicology at Memorial mm-hmm. University. Yeah, and now he's doing a PhD in music, too, but that's why we moved here.
0: <laughs> oh, from São goodness.
5: Paulo, like this huge city, and, and to Newfoundland, and Labrador, mm-hmm. and to St. John's, but it's the, the capital of the province, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's a small, small city, you know?
0: <laughs> Very okay. small from what you're used to. Okay, so now yeah. adapting yourself to not only a new country and a new city and language and then trying to get your music going, um, how did things shift for you? So now that you are, you know, having your sophomore album debut?
5: Oh, wow. Uh, I think the, the beginning was pretty hard because everything's new and different, like mm-hmm. everything, mm-hmm. even the way that you close your door, you know, like everything is different. And and because of the pandemic, since mm-hmm. we weren't able to, to travel or to tour or to visit our families, uh, uh, actually something nice came out of this because we made here like our home you know Mm
3: -hmm. so
5: so that's something that's amazing and st john's the province is very very musical so every day you have some really nice concerts like every day (laughs) and we met here some really nice people and that's how i met dean stairs and steve stairs they're from the citadel house and when I showed them, like, my my album, they, they oh, we like that, so we're going to sign with you to release the album. So it was amazing.
0: Crazy. And I guess now, too, your inspirations, uh, a lot of your songs come from the land that you're presently living on, right?
5: Yes, definitely. And even, uh, um, of course, that in Brazil we have the... the the seasons but not <laughs> like here so that's for me it's it's so uh so nice to see you know like of course the snow for you it's something okay it's snowing but for me it was oh that's magical we don't have snow in brazil <laughs> it's it's different when you are traveling and, and you see the snow mm-hmm. when you, you are leaving so and, and even now with with uh, the, the, the leaves falling, you know, it's so beautiful. So it's, it's amazing to, 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 to be able to, like, be here and write music about this place too.
0: And I was curious because uh, St. Paulo, Brazil, I mean, millions of people living in very close quarters. What is it like now when you come to Canada? And there's like millions of miles between (laughs) places and people.
5: Uh, It's very different. But at the same time, that was something that we really wanted Mm -hmm. to to experience. And back in São Paulo, I, I used to have this crazy life, working every day, singing many concerts, events, weddings, teaching <laughs> I, I'm a voice teacher and, and driving three hours every day
3: yeah.
5: like uh, this heavy traffic and, and when I moved here my f- idea was to have a, a year off you know okay I'm going to focus my new album and that's it but two weeks after I was here I was already like singing and, and meeting new people and going to festivals and conferences. So at the same time that we we have the the calm and it's very quiet. I we have so many festivals like every month, you know, that that, that is that is really nice. That we can have like everything, you know? yeah peace calm the nature really really near Mm
0: -hmm.
5: and uh, all this scene.
0: and have you had i guess great support from the local music community and i know have you heard the celtic music too as well Uh, and and i guess that's great uh such a great influence right for the new creative sounds that you want to be creating
5: yeah uh, I was kind of surprised by all the Irish influence that we have here, like, and it's and it's very different because we have some pubs in São Paulo, but it's more um, a touristic place, you know, and I, I've been a few times to Great to, to Britain, but mm-hmm. not in Ireland or Northern Ireland, more in Scotland and, and, and in, in England. So I was very surprised, <laughs> uh, 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 and I think that's something magical about music. You know, it's a universal language.
0: Yes, it is. Uh, I have a, a another personal question. Have you kissed the cod? Do you know? No. <laughs> no. That's you haven't been screeched. No. <laughs> So let me tell you, so Screech is like traditional to Newfoundland whiskey, and so you take a shot, and you probably have heard this, Eric probably has been Screeched,
5: yes? Yeah, I, 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 I tried the Screech like yes. last year, I guess, <laughs> uh, but I haven't kissed the cod.
0: Okay, so, yeah, you kiss the cod. Yes, it's not that bad. It's a little <laughs> no, you know that, that we
5: have some pubs here that they yes. do, like, the whole ritual. Yes. You know, like, you drink and then you kiss yes. the, the the cod. See, oh,
0: that's, no. that's, an, that's your next album, Kiss the Cod. <laughs> and you'll have to learn Gaelic, too. That'll be your next uh, language to learn. Oh, yeah, wow. Oh, oh and yes. that's another thing, too. So this album, uh, you do have... Original songs by you, uh, both, and this is both in English and in Portuguese to correct? And the yeah. album is called... Amanheceu! Amanheceu! Oh my goodness, that's so beautiful! That yeah. means dawn, <laughs> everybody! <laughs> yeah, uh, right.
5: actually, there's no the, direct translation to yes. Amanheceu, but it's something like dawn or hmm. the dawning.
0: Okay, the dawning. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Well, it is a beautiful album, and we're so happy that Anna's going to actually perform a song from the album, and we wish you and your husband, Eric, all the best. We can't wait for more music, and uh, maybe you could do a collaboration with Great Big C. I'm sure you've heard of them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, yeah. that would be
0: awesome. That would be awesome. But, uh, you know, thank you so much, Anna, and thank you for sharing um, your fresh look at what International music can look like, and how I, I think it should be a mainstay and should be part of the popular pop music that we play every day. So,
5: oh, thank you, thank you very much. And, and I, I really appreciate the opportunity and yes, and, and, and talking to you and showing a little bit of Brazilian music,
0: yes, like, uh, and getting to, to know you. <laughs> okay, so you can take it away, you can introduce the song. Ana, and thank you so much. Ana Luis
3: well,
5: thank Ramos. You. So I'm playing Minha Canção. Minha canção can be translated as my song. And actually it's a love song. And it's about loving someone and this is um this is kind of a song that I wrote for my husband. <risos> então, minha canção
0: to give a very special thank you to all of our guests on today's show and leave you with this question what are you looking most forward to in 2022 we want to know so send us an email to hello at ilikeyou.com or you can message us on facebook and instagram at you. but for now like always stay safe and healthy and we'll see you next year on at home listening this has been a production of I you.com. podcast distribution from the sound off media company
2: do did will the story of people podcast is now available on the crier media network the first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories ready and Jackie Halawadi from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods
4: and on the Crier media network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.